0: Hello and welcome to The Modern Urologist. I'm Dr. Todd Cohen, Urology Medical Director here at Myriad Genetics, and I have the honor of welcoming Congressman Neil Dunn from Florida's 2nd Congressional District to be my guest today. Dr. Dunn, as I have known, was formerly a practicing urologist in Florida with Advanced Urology Institute. He left that practice back in 2016 to become a congressman for the state of Florida. It's with my great pleasure to welcome Congressman Dr. Neil Dunn to join me today. It's good to be here, Todd. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to, great to see you. And uh, you're looking great. I want to dive right in. So I'm going to ask you the very first question. How did you end up a congressman in Washington after being a practicing urologist in Florida for so many years?
1: I, I was tricked into this job. <laughs> <laughs> the, the speaker of the house back in Florida, it was a good friend's Pat former Speaker, Alan Bent, renowned as a speaker, he continues to be a force in North Florida. He came to the house and guilted my wife and I. And they said, it was the old story that like, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing. And <laughs> and you know, it it's like he came out of the blue. I thought he was just coming by to say hi. And, Uh, Because our kids grew up together and all but Instead, he ended up uh, recruiting me to Congress.
0: Now, I know that you had some real interactions when, you know, while you're practicing with your group with uh, the state of Florida, when they were having some issues with their CON or, or, or whatnot. And I remember... Our mutual friend Raúl Concepción calling yes. on you, or you called on him for help from the Lugpa group. So that's hey, right.
1: So. That was a great story. It, it's a long story, so I won't drag you through it. But it really was a baptism by fire, and we managed to actually get a, a discharge petition to uh, to strike out the president of the Senate, uh, which is you know almost unheard of. It's the first time it ever had happened in, in Florida history. We had some great talent with us. But it was a really sharp run thing. And the whole thing started one Friday and ended the following Thursday. So it was a, it was a rapid deployment.
0: (laughs) So was that a little bit like your taste of, uh, you know, indulging in politics and that kind of you know, whetted the appetite a little bit, or is this?
1: Well, you know, I had been involved with the FM, Florida Medical Association on their political arm for many years, and, uh, you know, had great mentors, Carl uh, Altenberger, Jerry Schiebler, uh, you know, Tim Stapleton, and some some, you know, really smart people. Plus, I was very close to the incoming uh, president of the Senate, uh, Don Gates, who was very good to medicine. And then, by the way, he's widely known. He's a, uh, his initial star was hung when he he created the American Hospice System, when he was a staffer in Washington.
0: Hmm, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, very really interesting. All right, so now you ran. This is your second term, and congratulations. Third for,
1: term. Third term.
0: Third term. Oh, I'm you, oh, i apologize for that. So third term, and uh, get well then. Congratulations on a three timer, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure there's probably going to be more in there for. I'm you know, running while again then. now. Uh huh. Good for you. And uh, now, when you first stepped foot in Washington, what was the biggest surprise that you met? You know, you you come in there and you're you're a practicing urologist. You leave practice and you go into Washington. What's the biggest thing that surprised you about being part of Congress?
1: So uh, inside the beltway, uh, you, you have this uh, incredible news cycle, this it's like an echo chamber, and, and, and you literally cannot get the truth inside the beltway. You have to go outside the beltway and talk and you know, check things. Everybody in the world is bombarding this government with information. As I've traveled to the capitals of many, many countries, I hear the same thing from them. So, you know, you'll be in Doha or Dubai or, you know, um, capital of Kyrgyzstan or Uzbekistan, and they say the same thing. So they're all suffering under the same thing. And that's probably, you and I were used to, uh, you know, much more scientific uh, sources of information. <laughs>
0: Sure, and there's a you know our our information was peer reviewed. Yeah, well I think you're right. I think there's there's politics in a lot of things, and and now there's politics in the peer review. It's, you know who's working with whom, and it, it, you're right. It has changed the academic world, and even the you know the private world has changed you know so much since we started our careers. It has. All right, so you've been there now over four years. Uh, what would you say was the biggest battle, what, the biggest thing that you 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 worked to try to overcome or, or try to push through being your congressman from Florida? So.
1: so we had some great wins in the first session. Uh, you know, that's when we got the Tax Cut and Jobs Act through. We made a lot of changes. Really, the economy took off like a shot. The foreign affairs was doing well. I sit on the NATO uh, parliament, they call it, uh, so sort of runs NATO. And uh, so I spent a lot of time overseas, and, and we we were doing very well, and um, and then and we so we kind of ground into that muddy 116th session of Congress. Now we're in 170. Without a doubt, this is this is the hardest time because we're arguing about spending amounts of money. Nobody's ever spent money in the history of money the way we are. <laughs> I mean, this is you know we we put in the first we had bipartisan bills. We put through four trillion with a T trillion uh dollars for
0: covid relief and we just passed
1: and i signed last week another 1.9 trillion dollars
0: did you ever think that when you were practicing that you'd be working with trillions of dollars i mean that's that's, that i couldn't even
1: count that (laughs) I that's a logarithmic term i never in my life i mean i mean you know the old joke you know a million here a million there pretty soon you got some money and now we're talking we just toss out trillions of dollars. That's that's ten thousand times as much money. It's a million times as much money. I
0: think it's more money than most people, you know, can comprehend. Yeah, you, it's, it. it's a it's number. To,
1: you really that you know money and it, the economy really do count.
0: Absolutely. You and I had a little conversation offline before we started about the doctor caucus, and yes. that there are. I think people don't realize that there are quite a few doctors uh, in Congress, and we are as urologists. Very well represented. You said you had a story about, you know, you know some yeah, of the Yeah, so I'm the, only the
1: second urologist. There are 14 doctors now currently in Congress. Three of them are Democrats. The rest are Republicans. And now and that's in House. In the Senate, there's four doctors as well. I'm the second urologist ever to go to Congress. The first one was back in the 70s and 80s. He died in office in '83. His name was Larry McDonald from Atlanta and so he's a very conservative guy a small government type of guy all for business and he was a democrat <laughs> so you know well, what's the chances right but that, that was that was what it was like back then now he died in office and i always like to quiz people do you know how he died and nobody ever gets this right but he, he was shot down by a mig over kamchatka russia in korean airlines 007 remember that four well, he was on that flight he was on that flight. And uh, that ended his, his uh, term in Congress. So, you know, there were all kinds of conspiracy theories. That's why they shot the jet. No, I think it was just a cowboy Russian. But I mean, so I'm the second urologist and I'm trying not to end up like Larry. You know,
0: So you're, you're staying away from Russian airspace? Or, or... <laughs>
1: That's right. It's that, it's that Russian and Chinese airspace. Yeah.
0: Uh, now, my state, North Carolina, is also represented by a urologist.
1: Greg Murphy, great guy. And I guy helped recruit him. Actually, he was already in the state house there in North Carolina and chairman of both health committees and budget committees uh, in his state. So, you know, he brought, brought some real chops to the, uh, to the equation. I really enjoy working with Greg.
0: Yeah. So are is the urologist the best represented surgeon? Maybe not doctor, but surgeon? Well, there's, a,
1: there's a pair of OBGYNs. So okay. two of them. And, uh, but I'm recruiting another urologist. And <laughs> so we might go up to three, which would put us in, in the, you know, the lead position.
0: That's, that's great. Now, i talk to me about the doctor caucus, because I know that you guys are, are instrumental in a lot of when they talk about healthcare policy and things. If you could, you know, give everybody listening, how are they involved with the structuring or helping to structure healthcare policies? So
1: everybody's talking healthcare now. I mean, literally every everybody on the Hill is talking healthcare. But you know, most of them find it very, very, very complex. But we have become moved sort of center stage, and they, and they do tend to listen to us. They don't always agree with us, but they tend to listen to us much more than they used to. And we have, as a group, become much more cohesive, and uh, and we meet regularly. We are discussing all of the, all legislation, but um, especially the healthcare legislation and try to give our input on that. And when we see things going off the rail, which they do periodically, uh, we really try to get in there and stop us, get it back inside the white lines. Uh, we've, we've missed a few, but we've also, you don't know how many we've brought back. I mean, there's a a lot of fairly bad ideas that uh, get started up here. And, And so we're doing a cattle, uh, hurting them up, you know, so before they get into the fences or off the cliff
0: or whatever. Sure. Now, I'm not going to ask you about the bad things that you fixed because that could get dangerous. Tell me about some of the big win that you would say on the healthcare side that the doctors helped spearhead or push forward.
1: Yeah. So re- very recently, we got the uh, physician fee schedule, uh, you know, it was due, it was due January one to come in and really crush all the specialists of, of all, specialties, surgical and non-surgical. And it was, it was all about, you know, plusing up the uh, the primary care and staying budget neutral. So primary care needed a plus up, but the budget neutrality rules were, were really cripping. Everybody that goes back to the SGR and everything. And uh, uh, so we got that waived um, uh, for another year, two years. And, and so that was great. Urology was going to take a hit. And they went up eight percent in this new fee schedule. We think that's that's what it looks like. Uh, you know, it's a prediction, but it, they should do very well with that. Uh, and they were probably going to go down eight uh, in urology alone. But but that's true of all the specialties. The American Medical Association looked at all of those specialties and said that they went from minus five to plus four point one uh, in this new fee schedule. We, and we got that at the bloody end of December. I mean. We were here we were here at between Christmas and New Year fighting on that that was a, a terrific day and there was a few other things we waived a sequester and and uh, so we and got three billion dollars added to the providers fund paying providers so that we could do that so there's some very important reasons to be involved with that but it also I, I think just in healthcare we've got to keep that patient physician relationship front right. and center because people don't realize how important that is. Well, the patients realize it's important to them. If you ask them whether they want personalized medicine or a government medicine, they don't want government. They want personalized. Nobody, nobody understands medicine in real time. Don't Nobody understands what good medicine is in real time, except physicians. Well, other people can measure outcomes, as a sick patient comes in, say, what's a good thing to do for them? What's a bad thing to do for them? Only we know.
0: You're absolutely right, and I, and I think people don't realize that a very small amount of the healthcare budget actually goes towards the doctor.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's right. That's a completely lost thing, and in, in, in Washington, that's Beltway does not. They don't even realize. That.
0: Well, I think that the problem is, and you may agree or disagree, and I'll is the doctor's the visible person, you know, healthcare. You go to see your doctor, or your doctor does your surgery, or your doctor takes care of you. It's kind of lost that you. Yes, you have to have hospitals, absolutely, but the doctors the visible because they're they're providing the service.
1: You never saw a hospital administrator scrubbing into a case.
0: (laughs) No, you're absolutely. (laughs) And and the growth of
1: the administration side of of medicine is just obscene. And it's honestly, we should you know put a lot of that blame on the government because we. Require all this reporting and compliance. And the, the right
0: yeah, regulation has has brought that on, and you know, mm-hmm. and all of that has it, it, spawned a whole new. It seems like a whole new. So of... another
1: thing, we pounded on CMS for three years and said too much paperwork, trying to trying to get approval for for a, a service, a treatment, a, an operation, everything. And and so we in this last relief bill, we got it is uh, the. The payers, the insurance companies, have to adapt themselves to your EMR instead of your
0: EMR having to adapt to them. Doesn't sound like a lot. That is huge. Is there a move or do people talk about having them be interconnectable? I know they do with practice management systems. They kind of have to be, but is but is there a move or a desire to make EMRs be able to speak to each other
1: from the highest mountaintops. We've been yelling this forever. Everybody has. And for one thing, it's, it's an, it's a cost to the medical system to not be able to talk to each other. And, uh, and oddly enough, the VA led the way on this thing. Um, They adopted, they started by adopting after, after wasting billions of dollars on their own homegrown EMRs, many of them, different ones in different centers. They, Finally, we forced them recently, just since I've been here, we forced them to go to Cerner, which is the same as the DOD EMR. And, you know, everybody complained, they want another EMR, but they got on it, they like it, it's no harder than any of the others. And now they're interconnected, not only with DOD, but with all the payers. If you're you're on an EMR of any standard EMR, you can, now you don't have to fax back and forth to the VA, you can send things electronically and uh, so I think we're going to see that I think that's and that was a that was a wonderful bit we really made some headway over the VA by the way I was the chairman of the VA uh, health subcommittee for a while I moved over to a new committee energy and commerce which is where the big healthcare subcommittee is and that's where I sit. but back then I was chair of uh, VA and we um, with the help I'm going to give him credit Phil Rowe was the chairman of overall VA and uh, passed a uh, couple of bills, the Mission Act and the and the Accountability Act. So now they could fire people to VA, which they very, very hard to do before that. But they can also they also allowed for patients in the VA to go see community care. Uh, so if you live in my district, a very rural district, you might be 300 miles away from the nearest VA medical center. And uh, you don't want to have to go there every time you need, you know, orthotics or an ear exam or something, you can go into the community now. And uh, that has really been a big, big, big help for the VA. And we, and by the way, the physicians are getting paid now too, which if you've ever worked with uh billing issues with the VA in the old days, uh, that was really, <laughs> that was a difficult thing. But starting in 19, they got paid within two to three weeks,
0: everybody. That's incredible. That's a big change. Tell me, you know, we talked we talking a little bit about VA and a lot besides this has, has changed with the VA. The doctors being paid, going out into the community. But you guys have also, specifically when we talk about urology, have started that uh, precision medicine initiative uh, with prostate cancer you know, I know, I know that you were involved with that. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, that's the Prostate Cancer Treatment and Research Act. And uh, near and dear to my heart, I've been working on the research side of VA since I was there, and uh, really trying to you know, focus on veterans issues as opposed to, you know, scattershot issues. So the prostate cancer is, is the number one cancer in the VA system. And uh, there's uh, literally hundreds of thousands of living veterans with, uh, with prostate cancer. And we're, we, so one, we should be spending some of our research on that, maybe a lot of it. And we spend $900 million a year on research in the VA so uh, there's you know you can get a lot of research done on that and now what we did is we caused the v a to cooperate with uh some of the leading centers in the world. Uh, on uh, on prostate cancer research and 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 honestly coordinated a lot of that with the Prostate Cancer Foundation, who I think you're familiar with. And sure, uh, yeah. It's been very rewarding relationship. I was working with them as a civilian, and now as a you know, in like Congress, uh, uh, we've been able to tap into the experience that I had with them, and of course their experience with prostate cancer and, and all of the top leading research institutions in the country. So, uh, you know, that's been a very rewarding thing to see that improve Now my, my new bill would actually sort of focus that, refine that a little more, uh, both on the research side and on the treatment side. Uh, so I think it's a step forward and it's not a top down mandatory. This is the way you got to do it thing. It's
0: guidelines. Yeah. I know, you know, talking to people at the VA and understanding that in urology, anyway, urology falls under surgery. So and it's, it's overseen by a surgeon. So I know there's, there's some difficulties in getting, you know, not just urology, but ENT and orthopedics are all under that same umbrella. So I know it's a little bit difficult at times to get specific subspecialties, you know, involved in that research process. And a lot of it is going through things like the Prostate Cancer Foundation and, and you. Yeah, and- somebody who's professional
1: at it. I mean, well, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know, we, yep. you just have to make the wheel keep turning, <laughs> grease the wheel.
0: I heard an interesting statistic that 14% of all men with prostate cancer in the United States are treated at the VA.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, we, had a, we have a huge population on that. And um, it's actually been fun for me because one of those centers is the Murtha Cancer Center, which is at uh, part of Walter Reed, which is where I trained. And it's right here in town. So uh, I get a chance to go back up and see some of the old crowd.
0: Do and, and, uh, <laughs> you, you miss you being in practice?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. You know, one of the things that all and you know this now, I think uh, that uh, every day you go to work, you get to help people. And uh, that's kind of a special uh, thing. You know, in Congress, every day we go to work, try to help people, but we don't do it every day. I can tell you that. So you, you have some days where you, you know, you strike out.
0: How often do you have to fight off the, the networks to say, no, I'm not not talking today? Is that a daily thing? Through your uh, office?
1: So they, you can train them, you know, you, you know, uh, uh, if, if they keep banging on the door long enough and you know. But, you know, the other thing is you have to work with the, uh, the media because how else will anybody hear you? It's not like I have. You know they don't have a Neil dunn TV channel at home, you know, or radio station.
0: Not yet. Not
1: yeah, yet. no. So you got you <laughs> got to work with that uh, media. And by the way, back home the media has been outstanding. So my local media outlets in you know, each of the cities and counties, have, you know, I'm no trouble at all working with them. Sit down with the editors, reporters, work through you know what they want to know, what I want them to put out, and I've never had a better relationship it's a working relationship in every sense of the term back home it's the national media is so hyper partisan by the way more partisan than the congress democrats and republicans can work together but you stood up a microphone and a tv camera in the in the conversation things go sideways
0: well you know it's it's entertainment
1: in some respect,
0: well, yeah, I get
1: it. You know, the, the, I don't agree saying, with
0: it necessarily. It's chaos like
1: cells or something, you know. But you know, if,
0: yeah, if it's boring, I mean, who's going to watch? So you know, if they say that, you know this Republican and this Democrat sat and had They're, lunch and got along. I mean, who cares? Nobody yeah,
1: that's not, that. news. <laughs> that's not news. At all. All so, right. so I what? actually did a show with uh, Al Lawson, a Democrat from Tallahassee <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, and we've been friends for 20 years and he was my senator, state Senator for before he came up to Congress the same time I did. And, uh, so, uh, and everybody, it was a political science, uh, uh, class at FSU that we were talking to, and they were just stunned that, you know, we were
0: getting along just, Oh, Al here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think the perception is that none of, nobody likes each other. That's that's it. Yeah. That's not true at all. That's just yeah. not true at all. Yeah. I think behind closed doors, everybody gets along. But the last thing I want to ask you is what advice would you give to, uh, you say you're recruiting a urologist into you know, the joint in Congress. What, what advice would you give to a, practicing physician that hasn't had a whole lot of experience in politics at the state or, you know, or, or national level, you know, to get involved, to to make that track to like what you did.
1: So, uh, I think that uh, every one of us, every doctor should be involved with, uh, you know, the medical association of their choice that represents them in both state and federal legislature. And you have to decide who represents you. But, you know, for me, it was the Florida medical association. And obviously I'm in the urologic AUA and all those things as well, but, you know, politically the FMA was very, very active and effective. And, uh, and I actually got involved when we had, Problem in Florida. Childs was the governor. I'm trying to think of the guy who was running AKA Cook. They were going to put us on algorithms, so we had to follow the algorithm, or it was a prima facie case of of malpractice. And following the algorithm was not a defense against malpractice. So it was, you know, it was a lose-lose we lose-lose lose lose yeah. situation. I mean, plus you have bureaucrats trying to decide how to practice medicine. I mean, the worst of all possible worlds. And that I was just two years out of the army when that hit. And I had, you know, a brand new practice. And, and so I had to get involved to save my practice and we won, we won that. And so I, I, I got started early is it, when I got into my civilian life. And, uh, and I think you have to, because that can happen again. There's no, there's nothing protecting you from that. So if you, you need to get involved for your patient's sake and for your profession's sake. And, uh, so first participate in the process, then see if, you know, you can put up with its. uh, dips and turns and, and, you know, cause there's some disappointments and, uh, mm-hmm. and if you can do all those things, and if you can find a leadership role in that, then, you know, you might, might be that you're standing too close to the fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you could get tricked into doing something you didn't want to do. Like, <laughs> it's very rewarding when it is rewarding. And it's uh, first you gotta be able to handle the, um, the frustrations when they, when they, when they happen,
0: because they're going to happen. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure. Well, you Neil, know, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to join me today and uh, to give us your insights on this. And I wish you all the luck, you know, in, in upcoming elections. I wish you all the luck in, you know, helping what you do for the country and for us and your service that you're doing, not just your prior military, but what you're doing for us now. I just, you know, have to applaud you and thank you for all of that.
1: Well, you're very kind, Todd. It's always fun uh, to talk to you know, people from the old sod. You know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll be actually going back to my big practice meeting this summer. You know, The AU, AUI has a full practice meeting in person this year. And so I'm planning to go down and join yeah, them, I, get, get a little CME.
0: <laughs> I was there last year and uh, you know, if they'll let me back, I might see you there and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll buy you a drink. Okay, so, I, I'll hold uh, you to that. <laughs> anyway, I know you will. All uh, right, listen, you take care. Thanks again.